Hello, I'm Hamish, and this is another episode of the Line in the Sand podcast, where Amos and I talk everything footy with a particular focus on the Essendon and Hawthorne football clubs. Uh, this evening, we've gone a little bit differently. We're going to be talking about a couple of um, older games uh, that our club, um, historical games that our clubs have been involved with. Uh, we've got two games that we're going to talk about this evening. Um, one that Essendon won, one that Hawthorne won, of course. Um, how are you this evening, Amos? I'm well, thank you. Um, things are looking up because we're talking about Hawthorne victories tonight. So, <laughs> Yeah, well, we've both got some um, pretty important victories to talk about this evening. Let's hope a few of these, um, a few of these important um, victories when the 2023 um, men's and women's seasons start. But uh, before we get to the games, we wanted to chat about uh, any news uh, happening down at the Hawks. Uh, yeah, a little bit of news. Unfortunately, uh, we'll kick off with the negative side of things where uh, uh, Hawthorne have suffered a couple of injuries in the last week to uh, key players. So Mitch Lewis uh, has sprained his ACL, uh, which uh, the club has put out saying that he's expected to miss round one. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if he missed a bit more than that. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if they're continually monitoring just to make sure he doesn't have to have a reconstruction. Uh, and Harry Morrison yesterday has gone down with a hamstring injury, which will seem sidelined for the best part of four weeks. So he'll miss uh, most of the next block of preseason. And um, I dare say we'll miss uh, the practice games in late February, early March, unless he improves pretty rapidly. So um, not great news to kick off uh, this week for the Hawks in preseason competition as they embark on their uh, club camp down in Morwell. Um, and you know that sort of thing. But um, it's uh, par for the course in preseason. They really go swimmingly. Although every club's still flying and everyone looks great. <laughs> yes, every, everything's going well. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> any other news to share? Uh, well, Hawthorne have just announced today that they signed a two-year extension to their deal uh, to play uh, matches in Tasmania. Uh, so. That uh, comes off the back of last year, extending into this year. So uh, they will play uh, four uh, regular season matches and one pre-season match uh, in Tasmania until the end of 2025. Um, there's a, a thought that this is contingent upon, um, excuse me, uh, the Tasmanian uh, team being granted a license uh, during this time. Um, so. Um, yeah, that, that continues that debate. But uh, Hawthorne very excitedly announced that they are playing at Launceston until the end of 2025. Um, so, yeah, very lucrative deal for the Hawks. We know that that's been over the last, uh, well, by the time it concludes, 25 years. Um, and it's a bit of a fortress down there for us. So um, looking forward to uh, uh, a few more wins down there before we uh, finish up, should the uh, Tasmanian licence be granted. Awesome. So, yeah, very happy with that. Mm-hmm. Anything else? That is it, really. There's not too no. much floating around. Um, as I said, Hawthorne are on their, their camp at the moment. Um, so, that, um, you know, we'll, we'll get news out of that. I expect Hawthorne will announce or at least uh, uh, gain their recommendation from players and coaches as to who the next captain will be out of that camp. Uh, obviously, a decision to be ratified by the board, but... Um, I expect that will be announced over the next couple of weeks. So uh, watch this space, but that's about it really. So 
Awesome. Hey guys, anything happening in Bomberland? Uh, the most important news to come out of Bomberland in recent days is that um, Peter Wright's campaign for a dual Brownlow Coleman medal year in 2023 is back on track. He um, turns out he was just suffering from tightness and he's back training already. So that's good to see. And uh, looks awareness. like he won't good. miss a yeah, well, hamstring <laughs> awareness. He won't miss a game. Um, it's a- a- excellent news for him there. Uh, the um, Bombers are heading up to Bendigo next week for a community camp on the 9th and 10th of February. So it'd be good for the, um, good for the community up there to be able to get up close and personal with the Bombers and see them doing some training up there. A uh, couple of preseason matches have been announced uh, heading up to the Gold Coast on the 23rd of Feb to play um, obviously the Gold Coast up there at um, they're playing at the Ostworld Central Over, which is one of the outside ovals at Metric on there. <laughs> I was going to say, there's a massive roundabout up near uh, Metricon Stadium. What if it's that? <laughs> yeah, who knows? Yeah, maybe in the middle of the roundabout. Uh, and then that that's a match simulation, uh, but their official practice match is against St Kilda at um, RSEA Park on the 3rd of March at 14 in the afternoon. So a Friday um, twilight game will be interesting to see what sort of crowd they get along there. Mm. And uh, for those listening to the Hawkside, uh, we are playing the Cats down at GMHBA at 4pm on the 23rd of Feb, which is uh, listed as unofficial match simulation, uh, although uh, they've published the uh, timings and it's uh, four time, 20 minute quarters plus time on. So I suspect it'll be a fairly uh, rigorous uh, practice game, shall we say. Uh, and then Hawthorne take on Collingwood at Launceston on Thursday, March the 2nd uh, at 5.10pm. So uh, uh, we'll be hitting the record button uh, on that one to uh, watch when we get home from cricket training. Fair enough. Uh, and unfortunately won't be able to attend down in Tasley mm. unless I am sent there by work unexpectedly. Surely you can make an excuse to be down there for work. You set oh, up a I couple could, of meetings. I could get away with Hobart, but Launceston might be stretching a little bit. So, yeah. yes. <laughs> oh, you need some business development. You're looking for new clients down that way or uh, something. Barn Boogle's not far from there either. It's, you know, mm. That sort of thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Good luck with that. Um, uh, we'll, we'll see how that develops going forward and what your plans are there. Yes. Fingers yeah. crossed. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, Moving right along, let's um, start looking at a couple of the games we we're going to talk about. Now, um, interestingly, we've both picked the 1985 season. Um, obviously, it was a game, um, or the premiers that year were the Bombers. We have talked about the 1985 grand final in a previous podcast episode. But um, given that we've t- talked about it already, neither of us are talking about that game. Um, which game are you going to have a look at, um, Amos? Uh, I'm not talking about uh, any of the regular season games between Hawthorne and Essendon because uh, Essendon, I think, managed to beat us by uh, 14, 36, 60 odd and 83 or 85 in the grand final. So certainly had the wood over Hawthorne in 85. But uh, I am going to talk about the forgotten grand final uh, between those two clubs. Uh, Hawthorne and Essendon played four grand finals against each other between 83 and 85. Uh, which no one ever talks about the 1985 night grand final, um, which Hawthorne managed to uh, to win. Uh, hence, I'm talking about it. So, um, a couple of things to note uh, about this game. 
well, not the game itself, the uh, the night series was actually uh, very different to what we remember it as kids, you and I, back in the um, early to mid-90s where it was full uh, pre-season competition, you know, four weeks of knockout with a, uh, shall we say, a, uh, you know, uh, a very gaudy night grand final with fireworks and everything like that, normally held out at Waverley. Um, you know, with the uh, pre-season premiers being crowned uh, and everybody believing that that particular team would be the next big, big thing, um, like the Bombers in 93, shall we say. So, mm-hmm. um, But uh, the 1985 night series in this um, sort of uh, format went for a good 15 years from the 70s through to the early or late 80s, I think, uh, was uh, played uh, every Tuesday or Wednesday night uh, throughout the season up until um, uh, the end of July. So right up until about round uh, 18 or 19. Um, so they had uh, 16 teams playing. Interestingly, uh, St Kilda, who won the wooden spoon uh, in 1984, had to qualify to make the night competition by beating uh, Queensland, right. who won the Escort Shield Um uh, so St Kilda had to play a qualifying match um, <laughs> at John Wren Oval at Kedron in Brisbane. And they duly won that by 96 points uh, against Queensland. A Queensland team featuring none other than Jason Dunstall, uh, who was yet to uh, sign or debut for Hawthorne. I think he signed for Hawthorne. But, hey, so imagine if uh, Queensland had made the uh, qualifying rounds of the, uh, or the, you know, the round robin of the night competition. Mm-hmm. I'm still playing against Hawthorne, right? Yeah, exactly right. So um, they lost by 16 goals, as I just said. Uh, and so he played for Hawthorne uh, in the night competition. Um, so there's 12 VFL teams. And then we had uh, Norwood and Port Adelaide from the Sandful, uh, who were first and second uh, the year before. And Swan Districts and East Fremantle from the Waffle. Uh, who were obviously first and second from the year before as well. So, um, interestingly, the two South Australian teams drew uh, home games uh, in the first round of competition. Um, it was all knockout, mind you. Um, and the two West Australian teams drew away games and had to play at uh, uh, Waverley Park in midweek <laughs> after, after playing probably a Sunday waffle game. So, mm. no favours handed out there. Uh, at all by the VFL in those days. Um, could, could you imagine the Players Association <laughs> reaction now if the AFL came out and suggested we're going to start a competition that's midweek every week yeah. and you're going to start have, having to play once every three days instead of once every well, six to seven days? Well, the interesting thing is, so the um, the competition started on March the 13th, uh, not including the qualifying games that Kilda had to play against Queensland, that was my March the 9th. So March the 13th, uh, it was one game a week. So uh, Carlton and Melbourne uh, kicked off at Waverley Park. Um, and then March the 19th, Richmond played East Fremantle. Uh, so the eight uh, first round games, shall we say, um, took place over sort of nine weeks or thereabouts um, with one match being played per week. So it wasn't as if every team had to play every mm. two or three days. Um, but not only did they play in this format with a Tuesday or a Wednesday night game every week between two teams, uh, they also managed to fit in state of origin matches 
uh, around this as well. So, um, you know, now they would have been played on a weekend generally back in those days um, with the, the competition sort of having, a, I guess, a buy for want of a better term. But even still, uh, can you imagine these days having, mm. well, what have we got now, 24 home and away rounds, a night competition where you could be asked to play uh, four extra matches all midweek um, as a knockout competition, uh, and then State of Origin on top of that somewhere in the middle. The Players Association would be going bananas. Yeah. And the clubs would be going, what the hell are we doing? Mm. What is this? Yeah, it's a bit uh, a bit uh, like Premier League and FA Cup, I suppose. But um, mm-hmm. you know, part of me actually wishes it were true. Oh, I'd love to see it. That'd be yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. So, and I think you know the crowds out at Waverley and that were probably anywhere between you know two thousand and seven thousand, depending on who was playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think um, uh, in the early round, yeah, you know, people in Melbourne particularly would absolutely go. But uh, anyway, um, so yes, yeah, so is, is this is this our next campaign, Amos, to bring back the uh, bring back the night competition? Well, I think it is. I think mm-hmm. uh, absolutely, especially when you hear about the prize money on offer uh, for this, the winners and, and runners up at this competition. So, um, you know, uh, and think back that you know the prize money. When I talk about it in a minute, um, I think back that it was 1985. Uh, we're not talking chump change uh, back in those days. So, um, you know, considering even now uh, the pittance of prize money teams get for winning the actual AFL premiership, uh, you, yeah, you can see where I'm coming from. But uh, just to sort of round out, so Hawthorne and Essendon played in the grand final. Uh, to get there, uh, Hawthorne travelled to Adelaide uh, and took on Port Adelaide at Football Park. Uh, and won by 19 points in mid-April. Uh, a little note about this game, just looking at the scores. Hawthorne led at quarter time by two points. Uh, one three nine Port Adelaide to zero goals, 11, 11 points. So uh, a fair few Buddy Franklin-like scoring shots there, even though he was uh, yet to grace us with his presence, shall we say. Um, and then, uh, but interestingly, Hawthorne finished up kicking 16 goals, 15 for the match. So they kicked 16 goals for after quarter time. Uh, and Essendon beat St Kilda in May by 37 points. Uh, in the quarterfinals, because it's all knockout, don't forget. So I think uh, tennis terms, round of 16 quarterfinals, semifinals, etc. Uh, Hawthorne defeated Collingwood uh, by 87 points. Uh, and Essendon defeated Norwood from the Sandful by 53 points over at Football Park. Um, so Hawthorne plays the first week of July. Essendon, oh, sorry, the first week of June. Essendon the last week of June. Uh, the semi-finals, uh, Hawthorne defeated Carlton by 45 points. And then a week later, uh, Essendon defeated Fitzroy by 83 points. And then on July 23rd, uh, we get to the grand final, uh, which was played in near freezing conditions at Waverley Park. The temperature got to a, uh, a tidy high of three degrees during the match. Plenty of long sleeve jumpers, mullets and beards going on out there. Uh, and uh, it was a dry night, but it was dewy because it was so cold. So the match was certainly not high scoring. Uh, but compared to watching matches these days, it's like watching a different sport, um, really. 
but it's still great nonetheless. So um, the captains on the night were Michael Tuck and Tim Watson, both the uh, vice captains of their respective clubs. Uh, Watson filling in for Terry Danaher, who was injured, and Tuck filling in for Lee Matthews, who was deregistered uh, by the AFL at this point for his uh, uh, attack on Neville Bruns a couple of weeks earlier. So, um, uh, so they were the two captains. Uh, Dipper, man of the match, and his prize for winning man of the match, a portable cassette player. A portable cassette player. <laughs> not even Foster's were the sponsor, not even a slab of Foster's. A portable cassette player for winning right. man of the match. Um, he did kick three goals, had 20-odd touches, and, um, you know, from the, the uh, decent portion of the match that I've watched, um, uh, certainly one of the best. There's no qualms about that. Uh, Hawthorne's leading goal kicker on the night. I actually think uh, Mark Harvey was a leading goal kicker on the ground uh, with four goals. Um, we'll hear a little bit more about him at the mo- in a second. Um, now back to the prize money before we actually talk about the match. So the winner took home 120 grand, and the wow. loser and the loser took home 90 grand. Yeah. So this is from a cash-strapped VFL, you know, VFL mm. at the time, uh, who were bleeding money everywhere and needed uh, uh, help and support from, um, yeah, pretty much all and sundry. Um, so you think about that, a night competition. It's not even the full-fledged competition uh, that you play to win the uh, Premiership Cup, and you're getting paid 120 grand if you win back in 1985, which would probably equate to what, two or three million bucks these days. It's big money. Yeah. Mm. So, um, you know, if I remember rightly, and I stand to be corrected, but, uh, and I haven't read this book for a very long time, but if I think somewhere along the lines of the late 80s, perhaps early 90s, you know, Jason Dunster was on a contract at Hawthorne for like $62,000 for the year. Uh, so they could assign two Jason Dunstalls effectively with that money or, you know, mm. 10 mediocre players because that was at the time when he was kicking bags of goals, not just starting out. So, um, yeah. Uh, we had our classic commentary team of Peter Landy, Lou Richardson, Bob Skilton. So for those of us who like watching old football replays, it was a, a good uh, nod to the past there. Um, the match itself was very low scoring for those times. It was uh, Hawthorne won by nine points, 77 to 68. Um Although the third quarter did produce 11 goals of the 17 kicked in the match, I think it was. Uh, so most of the scoring going in the third quarter, Essendon winning that one six goals to five. Um, certainly wasn't a free-flowing game. It was hard and tough. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of uh, skill errors with the Jew. Um, a lot of heavy hits in the competition. Uh, interestingly, a lot of the hits went unnoticed or uncommented on by the commentary team, whereas today they'd be... Uh, Outrage and mm. pleas for four to six week suspensions and whatnot. Uh, Peter Schwab was reported for striking Mark Harvey in the third quarter. Um, just punched him on the jaw in a marking contest. And uh, all three commentators said there was nothing in it, even though Harvey clearly got up groggy. Uh, I think it was Lou Richards who said, and the best thing is, well, Mark Harvey got up and he's okay. <laughs> and he was stumbling around like hmm. you wouldn't believe. However, you know, five minutes later, he had a hand in a couple of goals. So you kind of been too bad. But uh, um, yeah, that was a precursor almost to the 89 second semi final where Peter Schwab was also reported for striking and, and rubbed out and therefore missed the 89 grand final. So hmm. um, yeah, it's um, 
But uh, yeah, all three. Bob Skilton, one of the fairest players the game has ever seen with three Brownlow medals, said, oh, not much in that. He did have to go and, and try and stop the ball coming in. Clearly, nowhere near the ball and punched him on the corner of the jaw. So, mm. yeah, to hark back to the old days, which, which was good. But, the good uh, old days. Exactly right. So, uh, I like to call this the forgotten grand final. No one ever talks about it. There's not much match reporting or anything like that uh, on the internet to go by. Uh, the Hawthorne website puts it in their premierships uh, column. However, uh, it's a cursory uh, team lineups and uh, uh, brief uh, score statistics, not even quarter by quarter, to be honest, uh, that's uh, on the website. So uh, not much to be written or, sorry, read about it unless we head into the State Library and look up the newspaper archives. But uh, um, very surprised to find a full match replay uh, on YouTube, which is fantastic. So. Uh, and whoever's placed it there obviously uh, didn't hit the pause button in time for the commercials because there's some classic commercials. Yeah. Shirley Strawn getting about, and that's in a, a, a Nissan Bluebird of some sort with one of the best woolen jumpers you've ever seen. Nice. Um, I might add. But um, yeah. So that's my take on the 85 night grand final. Hawthorne's crowning glory mm-hmm. uh, in the two desolate years where we lost to the Bombers in the day yeah. grand final. Uh, and uh, certainly 85, where Essendon beat us four times in a row. Well, yeah. take that. So, it, yeah, it's fair to say it was all downhill from there for the um, Hawks. And, um, you know, Essendon, always been a wealthy club, didn't need the money. So, you know, it was just a, tra- <laughs> it was just a training drill, really. It was just, um, yeah, they were yeah. just that much better than everybody else that um, by the time they got there, it was, um, yeah, it's just, let's mm. run around and try a few things and see what happens. Yeah, well, I think uh, we'd already played each other twice. Uh, by that stage in the season too. So we'd had our two home and away games against each other. Uh, the margin for uh, Essendon escalated each time they played us mm. in the in the day competition. So, uh, yeah, nice to get one back. At least we yeah. can talk about something positive in 85. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah, but uh, God, I wish it was a day premiership. Well, we all know who won that and how easily the Bombers won that game. But that's not the game I'm going to talk about today. I'm going to talk about, I'm going to bring you back to the 14th of September, 1985, 7.25 p.m. in front of 67,000 people at VFL Park. 7.25 um, p.m. Wow. That's uh, that's what I've been told. Um, yeah, so early days, that they had the lights there. So I guess they figured um, they were looking for some TV coverage there. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that let's um talk about how we ended up there on that 14th of september uh essendon being the minor premiers had the week off that first week of the final series so they were well rested hawthorne had the game their their first game of that f- final series was um they played against the it was the foots they, they played against footscray then footscray yes um Relatively easy game for the Hawks in that first week of the finals. Um, 22-23-155 to 8-14-62. So it's fair to say that they um, taught the Bulldogs a lesson that day with Dunstall kicking five. Um, Probably gave them a false sense of security and a bit of hope for that second week's game, thinking that they were going to be in there with a chance. But um, it's... Yeah, it's fair to say the Bombers um, showed them who was the better team that year the following week. And um, Just just before you go on, uh, a 90-point win in a qualifying final does not uh, guarantee you um, the same result a couple of weeks later because we played the Bulldogs in the prelim as well. 
It's true, and it was a much closer game a couple of points. weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, carry on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um obviously it was a highly anticipated game. You know, it's the fourth time the clubs had played in a final, excluding the um night final since the nineteen eighty three grand final. Um, and you know, they'd also played the second semi in the grand final in nineteen eighty four with the same results then, obviously different results in eighty three and then subsequently in eighty six. Oh, I don't uh, know, 84 Hawks won the semi-final. Oh, but, you know, that's not the, the one greatest final ever played, some would say. <laughs> some would say. I, well, I only care about what happened two weeks later. True. true. Um, so, look, just going, like, like you, um, it was hard to find anything in detail written about the results. Um, you know, there's a lot of statistics that I could find. So I know how, I know exactly how many possessions everyone had on the ground, but in terms of a, written match report um i didn't have time to delve into the archives at the um of the state library or find any of the newspaper reports there's a lot of newspapers and football records being sold on ebay apparently related to this final so um you know if you're looking for any souvenirs there's plenty available there but um in terms of stuff that's been transcribed on the internet or even through the essendon website that was a struggle to find that but um what i found interesting about this game was um Firstly, the footage I found on YouTube. Did you know that in 1985, they had a series of um, each week, they had um, the VFL video series. No. So at the end of each round, um, they released a Sandy Roberts compared video that had highlights of every um, game of the round. So obviously oh, wow. this um one was the um, semi-finals round, so it um, the it like the winners, yeah, all kind of, um, but yeah, it was both games. So the Essendon Hawthorne game and the um, Footscray and North Melbourne first semi-final as well were both released on the one video. Um, obviously, um, earlier rounds and in the regular season would have been much shorter in the highlights there, but um, I'd be interesting to uh, interested to find well, out how many video copies they actually sold each week. Um, Given that the um, this sort of ended, I think it was in 1987. I'm not sure that it was as mm. profitable as they would have hoped it to be, but um, absolutely. Well, yeah, because then it would have become well, name a game, obviously. Mm. Uh, but from I must have been when Channel Seven took back over the footy in say 88 mm. from the ABC. They had a one year hiatus, yeah. uh, and the the footy replay started like six o'clock on a Saturday night. Yeah. Uh, I think it was for 90 minutes where they'd show highlights from two or three games on the Saturday because yeah. all games were played at the same time mm. back in those days. So yeah. uh, you'd never see every game, but you'd see uh, extended highlights of maybe one and then highlights of two others, so, so to speak. So, yeah. Mm. That's why we see the same old footage trotted out every time. There's yeah. a, a clip somewhere because all the archives, who knows where they are, they'd be... Oh, <laughs> Very deep somewhere. If... How good would it be to go through that? Yeah. Yes, but um, you're right. The um, the the commentators were better back in the '80s. It's funny that um, you say that you didn't um, get the same sort of complaints about the umpiring there. Um, in this game, there were certainly complaints about the umpiring. Uh, you know, paying free kicks that weren't there, all of these sorts of things. The umpires were soft. That was ridiculous. It was actually kind of funny. <laughs> how often um, that was happening. I'm not sure the commentators would get away with that now. I think there'd be a call from AFL HQ saying, settle down, settle down. We've got a, yeah. um, 
protect a TV the deal coming up. We've got to protect the umpire. Um, yeah. What are you doing? So, um, but I thought that was interesting. Um, the best on ground uh, was clearly um, Tim Watson. He had 32, um, 32 um, disposals and kicked a goal. Um, some would say he was hard done by not winning the Brownlow medal that year. Um, strangely given to Brad Hardy at um, uh, the, Bull- the Bulldogs. I mean, what did they do that year? Um, <laughs> only made a prelim. Oh, my God. Only made a prelim. And they did nothing that season. Um, it's an outrage. Um, uh, Bomber Thompson, as a young footballer, then had a great game too with um, 27 disposals and two goals um, for a player that spent most of his time on the back line to kick two goals in a finals. Um, quite impressive there. Um you know, all the big names were out there. Um, Madden dominated through the um, through the centre, 17 disposals and 11 hitouts. Um, it was Paul Salmon's first final. He, um, he Probably not his um, best game of football with four disposals and one hitout, but, you know, right. you've got to start somewhere. And right. it's a young man there. Yeah, interesting is that because he injured himself in the night grand final that I just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um and for all intents and purposes, looked like he was done for the year, the way they were talking about it. So, mm. uh, and I think he was still coming back off the knee that he did in '83 when mm. he came on, burst on the scene, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, so yeah, surprising that he got up for '85. Yeah. Well, I mean, he must have because he won the flag, obviously. So yeah. But you know, um, look, you you got to start somewhere, and um. It was a great, um, you know, a great stepping stone for him. And obviously being in that team is a great experience for him and he was able to move forward from there. Um, the, what, but, you know, the, the best part about this game is the fact that um, Hawthorne were leading at half time, but, um, you know, they call the third quarter the premiership quarter for a reason. Uh, Essendon kicked uh, seven goals, six in the third quarter to move from 32 points to 80 points and kept Hawthorne to one point in that quarter. And that was, that was it. That was it for the oh, game. 13 scoring shots to one. That's, yeah. that's ugly. Yeah. And even worse for um, the Hawks, they managed to kick three goals, five in the final quarter um, to, you know, so they couldn't kick straight in the last quarter to make it a bit closer. But I mean, it was a relatively easy win for the Bombers um, running out 14, 18, 102 to nine, eight, 62. And um yeah, it's it's great going back and watching some of these old games on YouTube and just hearing the commentators and watching some of the players that you you have memories of, but yep. obviously we were relatively young then, so not um, you know, it, it brings back memories that we perhaps had forgotten we had in some circumstances. I mean, mm. look, this was a bit before my time at the, at the time Fine. of this final. I was um, j- not not quite three, so um, I don't have really a memory there, but these these players, a lot of them were still playing when I do have memories of football. So it's just good to see them playing at their best and some of the exciting stuff that's happening there. Yeah, same. I was only just turned three when this game uh, took place. And uh, the game that I watched earlier, it was Mark Harvey in number 38. Yeah. With, shall we say, strawberry blonde hair instead of bleach blonde hair. Mm. Uh, Dermy had blonde hair, but not quite the permed mullet that we he became famous for in later years, you know, that mm. sort of thing. So or even later that year, potentially. Yeah. Uh, and these sort of things. So, um, yeah, as you say, it does uh, revive mm. great memories looking back at some of this footage. So, Yeah, and I think, you know, we always share this on Facebook, so I'll make sure I put the links to the YouTube videos there for anyone that's interested in watching them as well. And, um, you know, 
I've enjoyed I've enjoyed creating this week's podcast. Just going back and watching these memories, so I, I, th- I think it's fair to say there'll be a, a few more matches that get talked about and watched over the um, coming weeks into the season, and perhaps even during the season if we get bored or or during the bye weeks for our clubs if we want to talk about something from history. There's um, opportunities there as well. Yeah, I think so. I suspect. Uh... Uh, on the Hawthorne side of the ledger, we could be bored fairly early this year. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, yeah, as you say, I mean, we've got a few weeks to the start of the season, so there's a, a couple of other decades to plow through. But um, you know, uh, it has been good taking a look back and you know going down a few rabbit holes on YouTube and things like that. So um, doubtless we'll be wasting more time doing that again. Tell you what, though, if anyone does know um, where we can find like archived match reports of um, old VFL matches other than having to go into the library. If there's some online resource that we don't know about, I would love to um, have that shared with us. So, you know, whether it's through the Facebook or, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure our audience is not that big, reach out to, out to us directly and uh, let us know. We'd uh, love to be able to find that and read that as well, just to add to our research. Yeah. Just to flesh out our, our because we, we do enjoy going back over time. Um, mm-hmm particularly uh, as both of our clubs have had successful eras since, uh, yeah, we were born. We've been lucky enough to to say that. So, um, yeah, it'd be great if we could find something. It's a very tough search on the internet. Yeah. We'll have to go to the dark web, dark web, Hamish, and <laughs> see what turns up there. See what turns up there. Well, I mean, you know, unfortunately... I think there's been a few too many people from the Essendon Football Club spend too much time on the dark web over <laughs> recent years. So um, I don't know that I'll I don't know that I'll go looking there and search for terms related to the Essendon Football Club. Well, I was just going to say that might only bring up Collingwood match reports. So. Well, there's that too. <laughs> so, but no, it has been good going down memory lane, and I look forward yeah. to doing it again. Yep, that has been another episode of the Line in the Sand podcast. Um, We'll let you know what's happening next week, either through our Facebook page or, you know, we might just keep you in suspense and you'll have to uh, keep listening to see what we have to chat about. Um, In the meantime, if you have enjoyed this episode, please tell your friends and family, please subscribe via your favorite podcast platform and leave a five-star review. Uh, Also make sure you check out our Facebook page at the line in the sand podcast. Thanks. And we'll see you next time. Good night, everyone.